0: what's going on everybody welcome to another five minutes with sean maybe 10 sit down edition yes there have been a few sit downs and yes there are more to come Uh, i have a really fun game plan for the month of may Uh, it's going to be awesome it's going to be all about our friends On the fixed op side of the world, they don't get enough attention. And so we're going to spend the entire month of May drawing attention to them. But before we get to May, we have more fun to have here in April. And I got to tell you, I'm a big fan when people leave retail and start something really cool within the industry to help them. It's even cooler when it's an owner like we have today. If you don't know the name Tom Klein, you will today and you will after today. This man is a compliance junkie, former dealer, and really here to protect everyone's asses is the best way I can put it. Tom Klein, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great, Sean. Thanks so much for having me. it's oh, wonderful. I'm happy to have you. I think it's important. To, and again, as is customary with the show this year, we I do not know what is about to happen. So, Tom, what is it that you, my friend, want to talk about today?
1: I think, uh, thanks. I think current events are always a good place to start. And April 1st, the Federal Trade Commission came out and fined Napleton Automotive $10 million. I'm not sure if you heard about that or not. Oh, sure. And what's interesting about The press release, I don't know anything about Napleton other than what I read. Uh, I'm not familiar myself with their operation, but the press release I thought was very interesting because the press release interviewed, actually interviewed a customer who said, uh, first of all, for those who don't know about Napleton, they were fined $10 million for two different reasons. One is that they were discriminating against um, a minority and the second was that they were uh, it was alleged that they were adding products into the customers uh, payments without their knowledge and without their consent and things they didn't want so what was interesting in the press release is it showed that uh they interviewed a customer who said they had uh, four thousand dollars additional products that were uh, stuffed into their payment, and I thought about that for a minute, Sean. And the thing that was particularly interesting about that is, you know, that that wasn't the first time he complained, right? I mean, he didn't just go directly to the FCC, uh, FTC, right? Yeah. So, so what that says to me is that they that Napleton, as big as they are, and I looked it up. They have 50 locations, 74 franchises, and were just rated number 12 in automotive news for the biggest uh, group in the country. That's correct. So what that says to me is they don't have good customer processes where they have people on the back end after selling a car to fix problems. And that was surprising to me, an organization that big. That was really surprising. Uh, it was also surprising uh, that they didn't have a basic process where the billing clerks before they put the before they build the deals they could do a basic check. there should be in the deal there should be a buyer's order that matches an f and i menu which matches the retail installment sales contract and that's a quick way to check to make sure that that product stuffing doesn't happen. And so it was interesting to me that an organization that big doesn't seem to have processes in place. And in order to mitigate dealers, to mitigate risk and stop problems before they happen, the first most important thing is they stop the problems, uh, which I call the two-legged problem, which are the customers and the employees, because at a dealership, that's where 80% of the problems start.
0: Man, Tom, this is the big unpack here. So, yeah, the Napleton group, obviously, you know, it's all alleged at this point. So, I don't want to go, you know, on record as saying it's, it's, it's what's happened. However, um, I've been in the car business a long time, as have you. And none of this is surprising to me, unfortunately. Um, a group this size, and, and I've had inner workings in their world. I know people in their world. They've got some stores here in the Midwest that I've been familiar with. Um, and the interactions typically, are sort of, you know, less than satisfactory. Even from an exterior position of mine into the stores, you just don't get the feeling that everything is as maybe it should be, or or could operate as efficiently as it does. And, and Tom, I think you know this as well as anybody that sheer size, right, of that group, you made mention of the numbers, right? 70 stores. You were a, you were a man who was running you know a store maybe a multiple store deal but it wasn't at that level right so you can only imagine how when it gets that big it gets forgotten I mean you talk about basic processes I, I I'm on record as not being a huge fan of corporate America uh, in any sense and yeah. and this to me is corporate car dealers and and corporate car dealers for the most part are big because it's it's a sheer size numbers game it has nothing to do with really much else um, than your sheer size. Uh, and, and I think that's what gets forgotten. I, I was almost laughing. I don't know if you saw me, but when you were talking about basic processes of billing clerks and this and that, you know, would they ever notice? Think about that. Well, think about how many deals these young people are going through. These aren't experienced F&I managers who are going through reviewing these deals. You said the word, it's a clerk. And so the process is there. I think the problem is the process isn't worth a shit. And I think that's where we really run into it. Is that, do you find people think they have a process? And upon further inspection, that process is, yeah, but not very good. Is is that also an issue?
1: That is also an issue. I I have, uh, in my presentations, this is an oldie, but a goodie, but you manage what you monitor, right? If you're not looking at it and you're not going back and you're not checking your processes and you're not having maybe someone from the outside take a look at what's going on in the store, then you really don't know if, if you don't have anybody who, who, uh, who's looking at it.
0: Tom, we build a whole business on the concept, man. I mean, it's you know our, that's what we do for digital marketing. We don't sell it. We just simply look at the data. And if, the, if it's important for owners to have a look at the data, then they'll always be a partner of ours because no one does what we do. However, if you're not a fan of the data and really could care less about it, then you're not a fit for my company. And I, I know that you're probably running into some of the same things with yourself. Is that right?
1: Sure, absolutely. I mean, people who people who are interested in doing it right are the kind of people who I would want as my clients. But when they're not interested in making sure everything is, is done properly and we're trying to mitigate the risk for the dealer and, and transfer the risk when we can, um, it's, not a, it's not a goodness of fit for me.
0: Um, it's interesting because you talk about mitigation of risk. Right. And so that, that to me is something I don't think enough people put stock in. And, and, and again, it goes back to something. I was actually just talking with a buddy of mine that's on the he's he's in the rehab world. His name's Patrick Moore. He's been on my show before. He's created a concept of something called prehab, which is the idea that why don't we start working with people before they need rehab before they get this far. Right. Smart. Very smart. It's extremely smart. As a matter of fact, it's one of the most terrifying, terrifying interviews I've ever done because the dude is so smart. When I when I when I wanted him on the show, I thought, do I really want to do this? Like this dude's a smart
1: guy That's You know really what I mean? So yeah, smart. but his
0: mind is like, it goes in this crazy. And I kept up, I think, as best I could. But my point to, to everybody is that what he's talking about is what we need to be looking at for business, for human interaction, for all of it, is what can we do? Before problems arise, Tom, and so I want to kind of dovetail this a little bit into what you do. But if you were to look at your your business as it fits into today's world, right. let's say you met Napleton eight months ago, is what you do a part of what you look at? Would they have? I'm not going to say avoided ten million dollars because I don't believe this is a singular problem. I don't think one. I don't think one person's opinion could have brought about a fine. I think right. one person's opinion brought about someone lifting up a rug and the whole fucking school of ants running out underneath it. But if they hired you eight months ago, Tom, would what you do in a snapshot have looked into these issues?
1: So I'm, I'm gonna, I've got two answers to your question. The first is the press release said they did a, that the federal trade commission did a survey of their customers and 83% of the customers Alleged that they had products added to their to their uh loans. Eighty-three ah. percent. That's ah. right. That's right in the press release. I, you know, I'm only a student of what I read. I mean, as I said, I don't have personal knowledge. But that's incredible. Eighty-three
0: percent. Tom, even if you use the rule of lying by half, right? Which is the I, I put a gun to my whole life. Anyone who tells me anything, I'm like, cool. Let's assume you're lying by half. Is it still that cool? 40% is disturbing. It's disturbing. And it just it really fucks all of us. You know, I, I just it drives me insane when I see these articles and and these, but it always typically revolves around big groups, man. And and big groups are buying up the small guys, Tom. I mean, I think you know. And so yes. it's it's making it so much harder for guys who are in the middle to be showcased because they don't have the size, but they have the process. They have the people jamming products. Tom, what is this? 89, 1990? I mean, this is just, it's disturbing, dude. Yeah, it is. And, And to answer your second question, so
1: I have a 44 page literally checklist that I've developed over my 30 plus years in the business that goes systematically through where a dealership has the biggest exposure And and as I mentioned earlier, the biggest exposure at a dealership is always problems with two legs, which is customers and employees. And then subsequent to that is the unbelievable array of rules and regulations. Uh, And recently, we're focusing on the new Graham-Leach-Bliley regulations, which go into effect on December the 9th of this year. And it's a very difficult and cumbersome a uh, set of new regulations that uh, came out in October of last year. Dealers have till December the 9th. But that's, that's only you know one tiny part of all of the things that I look at. But I'll start at things like the IRS 8300 rule, which is the cash reporting rule. So <clears throat> is the dealer filling out the form, or do they have a process to fill out the right form? The reason I start there, Sean, is because, and I haven't read this happening, but it's in the regulations that a dealer can get up to five years in jail and $5 million fine for willful non-compliance on on that particular issue. So we start on things like that. We start on things like, um, and I find this a lot. So one of the first things I do is say to the dealer, I need you to do some math in your head, take your land and building value Add that to your parts uh, value, your used car value, and then take a rough number of what you think your blue sky is worth. And at a single point store, that number runs anywhere from 15 to 25 million, depending on what kind of store it is. Right? Toyotas are getting a 10 multiple right now, which is crazy. But Great. that's but that's what they're getting. And then I and I pull out their insurance policy, and we look at their insurance policy. And one example I can I can give you is. One of my clients had a $6 million policy. What that means is if there's a catastrophic accident, the parts truck runs into a school bus or something like that, that there's only $6 million of coverage to cover that dealer. So they're exposed by 10 to $15 million. They can lose their store over a catastrophic problem. So we start with really... The most important things, which is let's make sure that you don't lose your store over something that you haven't thought of. So we do all kinds of what if scenarios and um, try to see how we can transfer some of the risk. So that's really what my job is.
0: Because again, getting out in front of the risk is really, you know, what we're talking about here. And, And look, I mean, having been a former, you know, try to be dealer buying into a process, seeing what it's all about looking behind the curtain, you see exposure everywhere. Um, and, and and you're right, I don't think there is anything worse than the two legged kind. Um, and that's why I believe you You have to have this second level of, of outside eyes. And, and and again, it is self fulfilling, because it's what I do. So I, I, I do obviously think it's important. But I think it's important from a marketing perspective, which has nothing to do with the millions of dollars that are at hand for catastrophes, et cetera. And so I think that dealers now, right now, right, we're in probably one of, I don't know, Tom, the highest tides. I mean, it's one of the highest tides I've ever seen in my absolutely. 20 plus. So, absolutely. So here we are, the highest tide, right? The old saying, pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered. Well, we're on their way to the slaughterhouse, as far as I'm concerned, with the way a lot of people are acting. And I think that this whole thing with these bigger groups taking it is all part of that. I think it's all part of a, well, while we can, let's do it. And and I got to tell you that whole thing sucks um, because there's no one coming to rescue you or the customer in 2436 when it's time to get out, or we look to cycle people out as the business turns over every three years. So I think that becomes difficult. It's not helping the namesake. Right, as we've already talked about with dealers, awesome. um, but but there's ways they can protect themselves, and there's ways they can have process. Tom, what would be your? Let's just say someone didn't want to actually do business with you, but they wanted your advice on. Well, Tom, how can I? What could I do to set up the best thing in my store? Is it a compliance officer? Is it a clerk who does this? Like, what would be the one thing you'd give dealers as a free piece of Tom advice they could do a DIY situation? Um, and, and learn more about what the problem is, how, how would you say that? Yep.
1: so I would break down, it's a great question, Sean, and I appreciate it. I would break it down into three parts. Part number one is dispute resolution. What is the dealer doing to make sure that he's not having disputes with customers and employees? That means first and foremost, putting in a process in the store where online reviews are not only responded to, but somebody actually picks up the phone because you can almost always figure out who the customer is, right? Always. (laughs) Always. It's, there's, you'll get one in a hundred where you can't figure it out. But 99% of the time you pick up the phone, you call the customer, you get them in your store, you fix the problem, and then you ask them to update their review. And you say something like, hey, Mr. Customer, Um, i'm glad we could resolve your issue would you mind or would you please consider going online and updating your review and let everybody know that we're not such bad guys after all right and so and and not change don't ask them to change their review they'll go crazy yeah no just
0: just update the comment to it and and that's look thomas hilarious i just had this conversation with an owner of mine in the bronx new york okay middle of the bronx new york And he says, what's our review process? Someone on the team says, yeah, we have a company. He says, not anymore, we don't. And he says, I said, well, what's up? He said, get me logged in. And I I stopped. I said, what do you mean get you logged in? Like you're the owner. He's like, yep. I'm responding to everybody on Google from now on. And I thought to myself, you got to be crazy. This is going to be a lot of work. He's like, it's worth it, Sean. He's like, they should be hearing from me. I should be thanking them personally. But then we got into the dispute part and he said, yeah. I'm going to put right on there. Call me, owner of the dealership. Here is my cell phone. Here is this. He said, but at the end of the conversation, Sean, I'm going to make sure they know I'm going back on that post and I'm commenting what our conversation was about. So I hope they do the same because I'm not going to have it out there where I do my job and then you leave me hanging. So yes to all of this, guys. Dispute resolution. Like stop using companies to respond to your fucking reviews. It is like- the most annoying thing everyone knows it okay everybody Absolutely. knows what nice, have a nice day looks like from a computer please stop and
1: and besides besides the fact that you're trying to minimize the risk on those customers sean what's super important is in every you know all dealers are focused on selling cars when a customer reads reviews and we know statistically 90 percent of customers read reviews before they buy from a dealer When they read those reviews, they see that the dealer cares by virtue of the fact that they've gone in and responded. And so it helps sell cars
0: too. I mean, it's a great twofer, right? So It's free advertising and it's an ability to be in front of the problem. And guys, I'm not talking about these gate companies you, you use that send out the survey of five stars to your customers and then they select. That is nothing. That does nothing for you. What only impacts you is Google. Okay. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah, Facebook and the cars blah, blah blah. Don't care. Google is what you're after. Google is who you're trying to appease. Okay. So in this case, plus there are my friends in the SEO world who tell me that it's all tied in to one big Google sphere. Of your URL is all of the things. Google My Business reviews, SEO, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so if it is true then why shouldn't it be like the number one focus of someone? And so when this owner decided he was going to take ownership, I I was blown away. and, And I think it is something that, look, I get most owners don't have time for that or don't want to commit. That's fine. That's fine. Someone has the time. Someone has the time to get logged in and start saying, and I'm not asking people to write books. I'm just asking you to say, Mr. Jones. Thank you so much. We hope you tell your friends and family about us here at Welsh Motors. Have a great day. That's it. Well, Sean, I can have a, I can have automation do that. No, because it'll do it every freaking time. I don't need that. Right. So, so Tom, that's, that's that's phase
1: one. What what's phase two? And, and remember, by the way, Sean, it's important to have an open door policy, a written policy for your employees as well so you can gather feedback from them because they're part of the two-legged problems. If you're not solving your employee problems, that's part of dispute resolution. And there are all kinds of all kinds of booby traps we can talk about with that, but let me move on to, to points two and three. Um, number two is compliance. You have to have a compliance program. You have to have a compliance officer and you have to document what you do because when a regulator comes in, if you can't produce and show them what you do for compliance, then you're going to be tagged for what's known as willful non-compliance versus we're trying to comply, but we messed up on this instance. Sorry, we'll get Mrs. Jones fixed. You're right. We're wrong. We'll get this one fixed. But don't say that we're not willfully trying to not comply because we do all these things
0: it's basically a one in ten number right like if i find it one out of ten times you're probably just making little mistakes that's fine but if we find it nine out of ten times you're you're making zero effort to try and comply with what we're asking you or um,
1: 83 percent right sean
0: right <laughs> yeah right uh, a compliance officer needs to document everything and it, that's a, that's a part of every part of the process here tom when you say compliance is that yes. go for the front and the back of the houses or that, that person would oversee all of that? Uh, yes, and
1: and, is, and has to report to the owner or the president because they're the only, the general, typically speaking, now I'm not, uh, typically speaking, unless you've got skin in the game, you're going to look at risk differently, right? The dealer owns everything. The general manager is there to make money. And so typically speaking, he's not there to mitigate the risk. I'm not saying that's the case with all general managers, but with all, with most of them, sell parts sell
0: service sell cars and make sell. money yeah and, i mean look it's because they're tied to net right and but net right. has nothing to do with with risk, risk. right you are not right. exclusive because your your skin in the game i want to clarify your statement the skin in the game is ownership percentage it is not what you get paid on the bottom line so You always have skin in the game if you're a general manager because you're paid on the bottom line. However, if someone said to you, yeah, but if we get sued for a million, you're going to bite that percentage of that too. You'd probably think twice about what risk really meant to you and the dealer. And honestly, it comes down to being a good steward of the owner's money and their business. And I think that's where we're finding a difference right now in what makes a great GM versus what just makes a GM. So
1: I think the, I think you're right on Sean, by saying a good steward. And that's, and that's important because a good steward is gonna ask what if questions, mm-hmm. right? What if we have an act? Do we have a procedure, for example? Do we have a procedure if the local news c- cameras come in? Do we have a media policy so that um, so that everybody knows who's supposed to respond to a news story? Do we, and, and, then, and a pro tip on that, by the way, because I've dealt with all kinds of stories, and all kinds of news, if they ask you for a written statement, don't submit it on your letterhead. You spend millions of dollars trying to market and 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 create goodwill with your with your logo. Don't,
0: don't let people put it. a statement up with your with your name at the top of it. Whatever you do, man. Yeah, we had a situation recently with a client uh, called us really like late at night. Said, "Shaw, man, I got a problem. I just got featured on the news. Had no idea." What what say you about this? And I said, look, man, you have to let it play out. You don't rush to do anything right now. You have to listen. Listen to what's going on. Have you heard of this topic before? Yes. Well, that's your first problem, because clearly you didn't pay enough attention. Because it's your point, right? It's the it's the guy at Napleton who led to the eighty three percent of people telling me that was a problem. So so when I've never run from an argument. I've never run from a fight. I've never run. I don't ever do it because in order to have the customer. That's my favorite part of the job. I love putting out a good fire because ultimately we will end as friends. If I right. can get you out of the fire, right, and as friends, and and that, thats the most important. I mean, I was I was approached and bullied by a very large manufacturer when we first started our company because I did a podcast about how terrible their digital retail tool was. Like it was the worst on earth. They had unsecured pages asking for credit information. I mean, I just I just killed them. I got a call like a Friday afternoon at like five o'clock from the president of this part of the company. And he calls me to tell me that I need to stop talking this way about him and about his product. And if I don't, there will be hell to pay mainly among them is my product will never be accepted into their approved vendor co-op programs. Okay. And I said, well, what if I told you I didn't give a shit about you or your programs and all I care about is the honest truth. And if you ever call me like this again, I'm going to publish this phone call because I live in a one party state. Guess what? Already consented. So is this something you want to go live with? Tom, I shit you not. He hung up the phone and there is nothing more enjoyable in my life than when you call me for a fight and you hang up the phone because ultimately you weren't ready. You thought you could come down, shake down the little guy. You're a billion dollar organization shaking down a guy who's been in business for 12 months and you want to do it. So when I approached my lawyer and I said, hey, boss, I got this recording. I'm, let's do it. He, Absolutely not, Sean. Are you out of your fucking mind? We're not going to do this. You're going to get sued by these guys for defamation. I don't care if you do have it recorded. He went through an entire list of risk that I stopped and said, okay, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to delete the recording. I'll act like I never had it. And I'll just take solace in the fact that he hung up and he said, that's exactly what I need you to do. And I need this to stop. But without him, without my risk mitigation boss lawyer, who is expensive for a reason, I probably save myself millions of dollars in headache. Tom, would you, would you think that would be fair to say? Yeah. And I think the interesting thing about that story is that
1: deal to use a good analogy When dealers see reviews, if they see them, and I've seen this happen multiple times, many times, they'll look at the review and they'll read it and they'll go, well, that's just a bunch of bull. They just dismiss it outright Mm -hmm. and read those reviews because they will help you improve your business. If you're really listening to those reviews, for example, just a simple example, if you get three bad reviews about a salesman, it's
0: probably time to counsel the salesman. Right? I mean, so- One bad review should at least ask you if he had a bad day, especially if he's never been on your radar. Like I I just, yeah, I wish, I wish I was still running stores today in some cases because the advance of technology, the amount of information available, every single part of this is easier, right? Right. Like, like me and you probably started selling cars out of a phone book, had a Rolodex, didn't have tech, didn't have any of this shit in the nineties. Right. And, and, and so I'm jealous to an extent, right. but Tom, that's what I said to this cat. I said, Hey man, instead of calling, shaking me down, don't you want to sit me down ask me, how did I come to this conclusion? What exactly right. is broken with our shit and how exactly. can you help us fix it? Right. And that's no, what you should have done. should have said You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. And I I heard an interesting quote yesterday, a good buddy of mine in Canada, uh, Ryan Austin, he uh, he works for a company named Goobagoo. Great, great dude. Um, Yesterday he put up a comment that one of his clients said, I don't give a shit if it's hard for us, if it's better for the customer. That's what an owner said to somebody. That's the attitude more people need to have. You got to stop taking everything so damn personally. When someone right. says something about your business, be introspective about it. Take a second to say, "Well, shit, man, I, that guy feels that way." Even if he, even if you don't justify it, it should at least make you think. Well, why? Why did he say that? Right. Really That's end to end different than what I think of what I do, right. and but we take it personally. Tom, why do you think that is, man? Just because people are built to not take criticism very well in general. Is that sort of the, the theory here? Tom? I think it's more than that, right? Car dealers
1: are, for the most part, are good people. They're community-oriented. They're family-oriented. The dealership is their baby. Maybe it was their father's baby and their grandfather's baby. I mean, I'm a third-generation car guy, right? Right. So, so it's it's like one of my clients said to me once when I pointed out a problem, and he picked up one of his ven- phone to call the vendor to correct the problem. Yeah. He said, I have a guy in my office, his name is Tom Klein. He just told me
0: all my kids were ugly. I, so wait, I,
1: didn't, I,
0: I didn't say that. I get it. I get it all the time. And it's so uncomfortable when you bring something up to someone and immediately they're like, yeah, just sit right here. Hold on, let's get this jag off on the phone. Let's get, take care of this. And I'm like, no, no, no. I'm trying to walk you through where and how we got here. I don't need this dude to fix it because it's part of a bigger problem and you're not going to get it fixed with one phone call or calling a manager in to yell at him and shit like that. This isn't that Tom, I don't have kids, so I don't take offense to that uh, ugly baby thing. Uh, But I have my company, which is my kid and it's been called ugly shit. People don't even like my name. People think my name is arrogant and, and inappropriate. And so it's always just so funny because I, I, I named the company because I think I can do the car biz better. I, I don't know what else to tell you. I, it's a belief I've had since I started selling cars in the late 90s. I believe I could do this better than we're doing it now. And that's always been the maintained point. But yeah, we hear it a lot. But, you know, I mean, again, when, when you're a dealer, even when I was a dealer and, and wasn't an owner, right, but I was buying in and working my way, I put myself in their shoes. But without, without the family history. Without the emotion tied to the job, because I ran the store, but it wasn't my name. Right. So I could be more in the middle. That's like awful. when my owner would hear a bad review, he'd come unhinged. This was back in the better business, better business bureau days, right? And he'd right. be like, get him on the phone, Sean. We donate. We do this. I'm like, dude, what's wait, Why did it happen? Like, let's stop fucking. We're not going to get rid of this. But he, he names two people in our process here. He I calls know. out two people in our store. And this is a problem no Sean the customer is the problem no 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 and so Tom you run into that a lot right where it's just there's what does my mom always say one points out four point back right and I don't think any of us remember the four pointing back it's it it
1: is a problem and it's and it's hard sometimes when somebody's calling your child ugly you just have to take a breath and try to listen and, and, and First thing I tell someone is think about the motivation of the person telling you that. Do they have something to gain? Because if they don't have something to gain or they're just trying to, like with me, I'm just trying to tell them the truth and get to the bottom of the problem so we can work on another problem, um, you know, it's it's why I'm going through it. So, Agreed. All right. What's number three, Tom? Number three is risk transference. So- what training can you put in place, what procedures can you put in place, and what insurance policies could you buy in order to mitigate your risk? So so employee training is super important. First of all, um, if the regulator walks in and you can show where they've signed off on regular training twi- at least twice a month. I would say once a month is okay, but twice a month is better. Where you every every twice a month you're spending 15 minutes. I'm not talking about hours worth of training. Like 15 minutes, it can be at the sales meeting at, at 845 before everybody hits the floor or whatever it is. A 15 minute topic and everybody signs it. That will show the regulators when they come in that look we're try, We work. Look at all these laws we have to comply with, but we do training twice a month, trying to make sure that our employees are are knowledgeable and understand what the what the issues are. And we're sorry again about Mrs. Jones. We'll take care of Mrs. Jones, and we'll do a retraining on that. But that also makes employees feel valued when you're spending the
0: time and the effort to train them. They they lap it up. Yeah, a part of the solution right? I mean, anyone who, if you're trying to do something at your store, as, as it relates to culture, which I know is a big buzzword all these other things, you, you have to get everybody's buy-in to make that happen. In order to get buy-in, they have to have an opinion. They have to be part of the process of, of building the widget, whatever the widget might be. And I find that to be something that not enough people do. Um, it's interesting, you know, OSHA, right, for the back end, we got a ton of shit we got to follow up with, you know, and there's always the, you know, jokingly, but the, the Simpsons sign everywhere, right, last time since an injury or whatever, um, but but that stuff was updated, you could see it written, you could see that whole thing taking place in the back, in the front, the only real experience I ever had with compliance, Tom, is when I was in F&I, which was the worst nine months of my life, uh, but actually strike that. Corporate America for a car business was the worst twelve months of my life, but in, in retail, this is my worst nine. Um, and so here I am in the finance office doing my deals, you know, etc. And then all of a sudden, this was 03 maybe. Uh, it came out where we want to record the F and I deal for, you know, backup. Right. And I, at first, I was like, "Dude, really? I gotta hit a camera. I gotta tell people. I gotta sign shit. This is just more shit." Dude, if it didn't make every deal so easy to mitigate after the fact, it was the favorite thing in the world within two months because customers would come in they'd be like, yeah, Sean, I didn't, I don't actually want this. Like, well, yeah, but you agreed to it. No, I didn't. Oh, no problem. Let me just go pull the tape. The what? Well, yeah, remember you signed off on recording that as long as the tape says you didn't sign, I'll take it right off. It's no big deal. Yeah, I'm good. I'll talk to you later. Every single time somebody wanted to be pissed off, you said no problem. Let's just go to the tape. And it would it would literally end everything. And it was something that compliance. John people Mad, the John Madden, the John Madden approach, right? Let's go to tape. That's it. That's it. Let's go to the tape. Let's see exactly what happened. And then we can make it right. John, you said that you could do this. Ah, again, I you know, let's go look. So yeah, man, I mean that's the only compliance I really had on the front end. I don't feel like front end compliance is really ever discussed it certainly never came up in a sales meeting
1: let me use this as an example this is going to be uh for my clients their may training okay and it's called anatomy of a lawsuit and i pulled an actual lawsuit against a uh, against a dealership and i'm going to go through The let's see, is it what is it 15, 14 pages long, 12 pages long? I'm going to go through with the salesman, the sales managers, this lawsuit, why it came up, how it came about, who dropped the ball. I mean, it's all very clear when you read through it. And next time those guys are in front of a customer and think to themselves, I'm not going to deal with this problem, maybe they think twice and maybe they say, I really do need to deal with this problem because that guy showed me what a lawsuit looks like and it isn't pretty i mean it's really time consuming and
0: expensive and, and and multiple people can be named you're not if you were a part of it if you were the sales manager if you were the if you were the mechanic you can get named in this stuff people this is not like it's just your owner who is at risk yeah more than likely the more the biggest of the risk sure but you as an individual human can always be included and I think we think we're immune to it because we work for someone. And I recently had, had been approached by some folks who wanted to work with us. And I had some questions about what they did and their history and who they worked for and how that would interact with what I do. So I approached my lawyer and said, Hey man, before I, you know, do this, my wife hates it. Cause I get a bill from the lawyer, like every week. She's like, do you call him every week? I'm like, absolutely. I call him every week because the second this mind thinks of something before right, it puts right. it into action, right. that dude says it's okay. Right. Um, because it's, Next week, uh, let's see, is it next week already, week or so? We're gonna be doing our our nine years uh, business, uh, right? Nine years doing what we're doing. I got so much built up now, it's even more to protect it now than it was nine years ago. So, and my lawyer, I I came in with this thing and he said, Sean, I would avoid this deal with like the plague. And I thought, man, there's good money to be had here. He said, yeah, is it as good as what this could amount to in a lawsuit? And he put it down and figure, I said, well, no. He said, then no. And so again, I, this is awesome. I, I, Tom, that is really cool that you're going to take people through the anatomy of a lawsuit to prove a point of, and again, all public record, right? So it's not like you have to be a PI to find what Tom's finding. He's, right. he's, he's using open source world to bring you free advice. Um, you pay for it, but it's free from where he found it. Um, Tom, what, what brought you to that concept of, of, of the lawsuit and, and the training? Is it to, like, what really said to you, this is important?
1: Yeah, so before I, I want to answer that, but let me just say that your conversation with your lawyer, one of the things that we talk about with risk transference, item number three here, is what instances would your insurance policy cover? So, you as the business guy, let's just say that whatever deal this you turned down, let's just say it went sideways. Before you said no to that piece of business, Maybe there was insurance, maybe your policy covers that, maybe it doesn't. But that's part of weighing the risk of being a business guy, right? And dealers are business guys, so they make risk decisions all day, every day. And so, one of the things I want to make sure that I bring to the table for the dealer is yes, that may that deal may not be great. What's the worst case scenario? How much profit? is it or how much is it going to be versus would your insurance policy respond if you did get sued and so i think that that can be part of the should be part of the process when you're looking at
0: doing certain things so agreed i think you have to be able to match up what what it is like you say risk versus reward Um, but if you're worried about mitigating the risk up front understanding it i don't i I know that I used to not take enough. I mean, look, when I started my company, I got sued for a million dollars for a non-compete because I didn't take it serious, okay? Which is why I have the lawyer I have. Just for anyone asking, no, I didn't actually end up getting sued. They didn't win. They actually lost because I live in a one-party state for recording phone calls, and someone from their company tried to recruit me during a lawsuit. Once again, people know your risks, know what you're trying to do. And when you call someone who's in the middle of a lawsuit with your company, you cannot talk to them about a new job. And it immediately ended my lawsuit. It immediately ended everything. We had to come to an agreement of time and term where I had to stay away from people. And, but here's the thing. I was Cavalier. I took the writing literally. And literally the writing said, Tom, I cannot reach out to anyone that I had worked with at this group once I leave. Hey. I had phone records showing that I never once reached out to anyone about anything. It was all incoming calls. Didn't matter. Didn't matter. Now it became a gray area and all this other bullshit. And, and honestly, my lawyer tells me we probably would have stood a chance of winning, but it would have probably bankrupted me because we had to go to New Jersey. Lawyers don't just fly for free people. So I mean everything that would have taken place for weeks in New Jersey on my bill to fight someone to start a business. Um, it sucked, but what it taught me was two things. One, it kept me, it kept me grounded and humbled, saying to myself, well, then how are we going to be quiet for 12 months while we let this whole thing expire and develop something great? It turned us from a training company into who we are today. And as a training company, I would not be celebrating nine years in business. There's just no way I would have never scaled it. I would have never had the patience to do what frankly, a lot of people are doing. But data risk data, knowledge, and understanding, that is not something people spend time on. So we're thankful for it. I really am thankful for the opportunity to be sued, which I know does sound crazy to people. But because I knew the risk after I had my lawyer and what I could and could not do, I was able to move forward having that strength. Tom, when dealers sign up with you, is that something that they start to feel like, all right, I've got someone looking out for me or helping me understand so we can put a little bit of the uneasiness to rest. Is is that fair? That's fair. I mean, I've had dealers tell me that having me on their side
1: helps them sleep better at night. So because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying to look out to make sure that all the what ifs don't happen. But if they do happen, we have a
0: procedure or we have a conversation about what we would do about that. Yeah. Younger version of me would have said enough with the fear mongering, Tom, enough of the what ifs. I'm going to be fine. Everything's fine. The 40 year old version of me says we need to be talking what ifs about every single thing that you do. My wife hates it about me because she'll ask me a question and I'll come back with like 13 follow up questions for context because I feel like her question just isn't it isn't black and white. And it always she's always like, look, just say yes or no. Just say yes or no. And it's like, nah, I can't do that I, because, because what if this happens, then my answer would be different. Right. She's like, but that's not what's happening. Answer the goddamn question. And I, I struggle with it, Tom, because I become a such, I question everything. Right. I question that's, everything. That's so, great. That's that's great. I think it is. I think it I don't know if my marriage would always agree with you, but yes, I, I think for the most part it is it is really awesome. Tom, you've been gracious with your time, man. I truly appreciate it. As we wrap this whole thing up today, and you've already given dealers the, the, the three steps to looking at things. Um, we've got our dispute resolution, we've got our compliance officer, we've got our risk transference, those are huge things one lasting piece of advice tom what would you give to dealers as it relates to just the general landscape of what they should be looking at moving forward
1: yeah i guess in addition to the what if it's as fast as dealers move and as many businesses as they're running right they've got their parts business and their service business and their body shop and their FI and their used and they're new all these disparate pieces it's very easy to move too fast. I see mistakes happen uh, when, when, when people move too fast, me included. When I move too fast, I make mistakes. So when a problem hits your desk, take a moment, take a breath. Don't feel like the, the, the problem has to be resolved right then and there. Some do. Some... You'll get better perspective if you take time, 24 hours, 48 hours, and think them through. But I think dealers have a tendency, because there are so many problems going on, that they feel that they have to snap those resolutions out. And by doing that, I think they do themselves a disservice. And and it's hard to live with those problems that creates additional stress because you're not getting it off of you, right? Once you make the decision, the human nature is it's off of you and it's done and you're done with it. Yeah. Having having to live with it is is burdensome, but some problems are big enough that you have to live with them
0: before you make those decisions. I, I could not agree more with you. I think that is a tremendous piece of advice, something that I have only become really aware of in myself getting better over the last couple of years. Um, during... During the last five years, I'd say of business ownership, two and a half of which has been pretty weird, right? Pretty weird. Um, the The idea of writing an email fourteen times is something I've become very accustomed to. Um, I, I read a text ten times and, and delete, 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 answer, delete, delete, let it sit, come back, let it sit. It's really hard for me. It's it's just when I tell you that I live on this thing. I mean, I live on this thing because I can give people the immediacy at which I myself want from everyone. The problem is very few people live at my level of immediacy and I need to, it's not bringing someone said to me the other day, Sean, you got to stop bringing your expectations down. No, no, no. You don't understand my expectation. Unrealistic. That no one should actually be up against them. So what I really need to do is I need for myself, for myself, not always for people, but for myself. I need to drill down and be better about my response and my time. And it's hard to sit on an email for 24 hours when normally I'm just like, boom, 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 boom. Because you'll, you're just gonna you're gonna respond differently. I guarantee you. If the next time you get in a frustrated situation, if you write the email, don't hit send. Come back an hour later. You won't hit send. Absolutely. I almost guaranteed. And
1: and that and and the other part of that, which I think is super important is if you have a problem, if you respond to it in a certain way, you can create an entire different problem, right? Unintended consequences is, is, is those unintended consequences can create a bigger problem. So, so be careful about those knee-jerk reactions, go a little slower, make sure you think
0: through the unintended consequences um because the cover-up is the cover up is worse than the crime right absolutely is that we take so much time and wanting to look we're in the car business right so we immediately have a wall okay anyone can say they don't but you do you're in the car business you have a stigma you have a you have whatever happens right so we respond like we like we have to we have to get out there we have to tell people yes we're right yes it, it, it doesn't have to be this way It doesn't you can be more thoughtful. As a matter of fact, typically, if you think through your reply and you answer in kind instead of in anger, you will get further. You will. I I, I can just assure you of it. So, people, I told you when we started this show that this man is a compliance junkie. I I hope you all get it now. I hope after 35, 40 minutes of listening to Tom talk about what is important, I'm going to guess better than 50% of you do not do anything as it relates to what Tom is recommending. And he's given you three E's, right? Dispute resolution, compliance officer, risk transference. That's free advice from Tom Klein, but Tom Klein, if people want to get paid advice from you, how can they find you?
1: Uh, you can go to my website, bettervantagepoint.com. You can call my cell number seven, five, seven, four, three, four, seven, six, five, six, either
0: one. He puts it right out there for you, folks. He's also on LinkedIn. You can find him there. Tom is a a great contributor to the platform. So uh, anything else you guys need from Tom, you should reach out directly to him. He can help you. Tom, thank you so much for your time today, man. You have been a tremendous, bringing up such a valuable topic.
1: Thank you for having me,
0: Sean. It was fun. I appreciate it. It's really awesome. Folks, thank you guys so much. Uh, Enjoy the rest of your week and we'll see you again. Thank you so much.